Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I am Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management, and with me is Chase. Chase, uh, we got a lot to talk about today, don't we? Always got a lot to talk about. You know, and I want to talk about, uh, I'm just wondering, I think it's becoming more of a well-known term. Uh, I, the op opening, I think I wrote the opening, but I can't remember what it was. But something about how we do talk about a fiduciary firm. I'm just curious if more than 50% of people know now that fiduciary means we have to do what's best for the client as opposed to the brokers have the suitability requirement, which means they don't have to do what's best for the client. They have to do a suitable investment. I'm mm -hmm. just wondering if it's like 50% of people now know that, I wonder, or what? I, I noticed, I, I get it. Even I talked to you know younger investors as well, and they, they bring up the fiduciary idea. I don't know if that's just from their parents, kind of make sure they're a fiduciary, but it, it, it is a more common question that we get nowadays. And yeah, we are 100% a fiduciary. We always talk about you have to be really careful of what we call hybrid advisors. Yes. Where yes. they say, yes, we're a fiduciary, but hey, do you want to buy annuity? <laughs> that is not a true fiduciary because I, you never know which hat they're wearing. I don't think they say, hey, do you want to buy annuity? They make it sound pretty good. We're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yeah, maybe I should get that annuity because I don't want market fluctuation. But yeah, down the road, 10 years, you'd probably do two, three times better investing than you would in the annuity. But anyways, uh, this is not a show about annuities. We are not fans at all of annuity. I don't think I've sold annuities since I first got in the business probably years ago. Uh, probably maybe about five years because at the time you're still kind of learning and like, oh, these annuities are good and so forth. And I, I realized, gosh, people I put into them didn't do that well over time. And uh, then I started realizing, wait a minute, this equity investing, there's something to this. Warren Buffett does well at it. So does David Dreamin. So does Christopher Davis. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of bad when you look at annuities and people bring them in and like, oh, that one was okay, I guess. I mean, but it's okay because the other ones are always so bad. Right. You know, you know and, I and just, it's still not good. Right. Like it, it, right. It's just, it's okay because the other stuff is generally so bad. Right. And, and I think back when interest rates were high, I do believe I sold some annuities that did have a 8 to 10% yield on them. Well, I guess now I'm thinking that one be, if you get that today, maybe I would sell that one, but not, not at two or 3%. So. Depends where the 10 year treasuries at. I think I'd rather buy a treasury if it's similar to an annuity. Yeah. And there you go. Yeah. Cause expenses on annuities pretty high. Anyways, let's talk about the stock market value index. Cause it's important to remember how quickly the right stocks can move. And it's one of the many reasons why I don't, or why I don't try to time market bottoms. If we look back to the last time the market was spooked by the Fed raising interest rates, it was December 2018 and the Russell 1000 value index lost 15.7% from November. November's close to the low in December. Uh, this is when we had an interday bear loss or bear market loss uh, of at least 20% from the high. Yeah, and then this is crazy how, how quickly things can move and also too how quickly people forget about these things like 2018 I, I don't think a lot of people remember how tough this market was at the end of the year but you just fast forward about two months to the end of February 2019 and the Russell 1000 value index gained 18.5 percent from the low and was about flat compared to the November 2018 close 
With so much bad news currently being factored in the current stock prices, I believe the right companies can still end 2022 on a positive note. As always, when you think about where you will be two to three years down the road, it makes investing a lot easier. And you just can't try and predict the absolute bottom. There's no there's no way to do it. No, I, I don't no. care who you are. I don't care what you're saying. Oh, I've done it once before. Yeah, but you probably try to predict the bottom 100 other times. And great, you're right 1% of the time. <laughs> and you actually lost a lot of money on the other opportunities there as well. You know, I did see in the front of Wall Street Journal, I think it was yesterday, I was going to do a post on it. I didn't get, uh, get around to it. But uh, that meta... Um, Netflix are now, and I think it's the Value 1000 Index. Is this that, one? Yeah. This one, this one right here. Yeah, yeah. And again, look where they fell from. I think Meta was a high of what? Did it hit 400? I think it was over 400, wasn't it? I, I, I don't recall. Yeah, you close. Uh, Netflix, I think it was over 600. Uh, now they're both around the 150 to 175 range. I did not get a chance to look at the valuations to see how they look. Uh, but it could be one that I did not agree with. I believe GameStop <laughs> went into the Value Index. Um, yeah, and it's really? just like, yeah, and it's like, really, I don't think they have any earnings, but uh, that's what I mean. I, I we, we get so busy at the office, I didn't get a chance to look at it. I think uh, I still have the paper in my briefcase, yeah, because I saw the news on um, Netflix and, and Meta, and I, I did actually look at the valuations. And you, you, could, you, no, you, you, Meta now trades at, I hate saying Meta, Facebook now trades at under 15 times future earnings, yeah, and we like to buy around 10 and, to 12. I, I'm sorry, it's 15 times. Trailing twelve months earnings. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, not not the future earnings because it, it was on my phone. I just pulled up the quick right. PE. It was fifteen times trailing twelve months earnings, and then Netflix was trading at, I think it was about sixteen ish times, right. uh, trailing twelve months earnings. So, they could be around maybe thirteen ish, depending yeah. on earnings growth. Thirteen ish times right. future earnings, which for for having a huge index like that, I think you really could make the case. I, they are value companies now. Yeah, and the, the thing with um, Meta, we're kind of getting off track here a little bit. Maybe somebody will call in on it, but uh, is that they are kind of changing from social media with their future being in the, the metaverse, is that what that's called? Yeah. Yeah, and which is hard to understand, could happen, um, but I, I that, that's the thing that would worry me about is that we don't, if it was just on the social media and stuff, like, great, great, because I, I don't think social media is going away. Yeah. But how much, how many billions of dollars will they be spending on the meta universe to be first in that one? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I this might give my age away a little bit, but I think a lot of our listeners know I'm on the younger side. I'm about 30 years old. Right. But I was talking to, uh, we do 401ks for clients, and I was talking to the guy that we were doing a presentation for. He's like, well, this must be really hard. And I'm like, oh, we've seen it before. He's like, well, how many times have you actually seen it? You're pretty young, aren't you? I said, well, COVID was 2020. Right. And 28. <laughs> and I just want to bring up the 2018 point because of 2018, that was only a few years ago. Right. And it just, listeners can't see this. I'm just going right over my head right now. People forget about 2018. Mm -hmm. And remember, gosh, people were panicking. It was Christmas Eve. And it's like, gosh, what is happening in the stock market? It's terrible. <laughs> and we're like, it's it's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Sure enough, as you said, that's why you just can't time it. The tide can turn so quickly, and we could be in the middle of a recession. Yeah, it's it's possible. I've been looking at the numbers, and I think potentially Q2 could actually lead to a recession. We've kind of had some disagreements on that. Yeah. Oh, you had some good points, though, I will say. Yeah. yeah, it's just because the inflation rate and GDP is based off real earnings, or excuse me, the, the real growth, which factors in inflation, real spending hasn't been positive the last couple of months. So there could be cause to say, yeah, we, we could be in the middle of a recession right now. But the thing that people need to understand 
is the stock market is forward looking. You could have a recession in the economy and the stock market could rally over here yeah, because like, it's, yeah. it's like, oh, we're, we're coming out of the recession now. Right. That's why you, you, it's like, well, how's the stock market going up? Or the economic data is terrible. It's like <laughs> it's forward looking. That's that's right. why when all this bad news is already built into it, it just needs some good news to kind of rally going forward. Yeah. And and that's what they, they, they look at. It's like, how are the businesses doing? Just because you're in a recession doesn't mean that the businesses are going to do poorly. And it could be a short recession. Uh, temporary recession where uh, businesses do well, so the market just gets past it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what has kind of changed on yesterday was a kind of surprise with interest rates dropping, which I was kind of surprised because I don't think the Federal Reserve is done yet raising rates. So I thought, well, this kind of sounds premature, but yeah. uh, we'll we'll see. We'll we'll be watching it, but uh, yeah, that that's why we do what we do, and that's why we look at the companies and not the market so much. So speaking of tech stocks, uh, with the markets falling, people keep asking me if they should hold and wait for their investments to come back. Had this conversation last night with a, a gentleman at uh, dinner we had. Uh, I always say it depends on what you have, and it could be dangerous to hold the high-priced tech stocks we have talked about. If we look at the NASDAQ, which is a good barometer for many of the tech stocks, it is now down about 33.4%. Actually, I think because of yesterday, I think now it's down 29%. So yeah. it did recover yesterday uh, from its 52-week high. And I, I still would not be surprised if the NASDAQ fell 50% from its high as valuations were just out of control before the recent sell-off. If this fall did occur, that would be a fall of another about 25-ish percent, we'll call it, from current levels. It's important that we don't forget history and that in the tech bust, the NASDAQ fell close to 80% from its highs. So if that were to happen again, it would be a decline of 70% from today's levels. This is one of the main reasons I stick to value investing as people forget how risky these high priced tech stocks can be and and they could go back up. But but the thing is, the valuations still don't justify where a lot of these tech stocks are trading. So I don't want to take that risk because we know that things can still right. fall tremendously based off history things are still expensive so you want to avoid those and the value stocks they could go down just with the rest of the market of course but they they come back much faster many times because you don't have this valuation risk it's like wait a minute this company's trading at 10 times earnings where a lot of these tech stocks that could be trading at 30 times earnings and now they're trading at 20 times earnings and it's like well, wait a minute, that's still expensive. Still expensive, yeah. That's the thing that people will miss or investors will miss is that they, they see that and think, oh, compared to the 30, 20 is cheap, but compared to the average history of the market, no, that is not cheap and it could go cheaper, especially what we talk about, and we, we I think we did this last week about uh, Apple, uh, where Apple has $400 billion of revenue, you they want to have growth, well, 10% growth in that revenue be $40 billion. Where's that gonna come from? And if they can't do a 10% growth, and for whatever reason they only come in making $20 billion, well, it's only 5% growth, it, the growth investors say, oh, it's over for them, and they start dumping it. This is how a growth stock can become a value stock. Netflix um, and Meta. Exactly, I was gonna say the same thing. Um, so, so again, Apple, Microsoft, you know, great businesses but everything eventually comes back to the mean. Will it happen tomorrow, next week, next month, next year? You don't know, but that's the thing. And that's how Warren Buffett, I was watching a video from, from him on, on his uh, investing, that's how he's done well for so long, not by getting into the high flyers. And yes, he did buy Apple. Um, he bought it, a, I think we bought it around the same time he did. The difference is we sold it, he did not sell it. But I, I think if he were to sell it now, 
he'd be in trouble because I think he owns what is it twenty percent of the kind some huge amount, yeah. and and he would actually cause that stock price to dive. Uh, but he's done some other great value investing. Uh, but now with Apple, it's just kind of like, yeah, I, I almost feel he's stuck with it, but he could start unloading a little bit. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what he does. And then we always talk about too, we don't think he's the only one calling the shots or doing the investments any longer. Yeah. And it's a great point too about the growth stocks is we've now seen a couple earnings reports from companies. We saw home builder, we saw, you know, FedEx report the other day and, and those reports have actually been better than I think feared. So right. few of those stocks have rallied quite nicely. Now, earnings, you know, we're, we're ending Q2 here next week. Uh, what is that? Yeah, because the first is, I believe, next Friday. Yeah. So the end of Q2 will be next Thursday, and companies will start, like the banks are going to start reporting probably about second, third-ish week of, of July. It's going to be very interesting because I, I think the earnings could either be catalyst for companies to rally or they could be cause for concern for these companies and it, it could make some companies dive much quicker. So I, I, I'm again, coming back to this idea of, I don't want to have these high valuation stocks because as you said, if it's like, Oh, they grew earnings at 8%, but the market's looking for 12%. Ooh, that stock could dive very, yeah. very quick. Yeah. Yeah. And th that's why a value company, Oh, we're expecting 4% growth. Oh, they did 5% stock pops. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, let's talk about the United States uh, supply chain because Morgan Stanley conducted a survey of more than 400 executives from large corporations in the U.S., Germany, and Japan. They discovered the most important factors in supply chain decisions are geopolitical stability, skilled labor, physical infrastructure, and a developed uh, supply chain ecosystem. And unfortunately, happy to share here that the United States outranked Europe, China, and Mexico in, in many of those areas there. The good news is 18% of the companies plan to significantly expand U.S. manufacturing in the next 12 months, and 36% have a three-year plan for doing the same. I also observed that more than 40% of the U.S. companies are working hard to onshore supply chains. This could be a big benefit in our economy over the next 12 to 36 months. Again, we're, we're talking about potentially some companies maybe slowing down hiring. We've heard more news about companies rescinding job mm -hmm. offers, maybe actually having some layoffs. We've heard that some from some bigger tech companies in particular. The manufacturing sector, perhaps, if we do onshore more jobs, could be a big benefit there. Yeah, and, and that's so important, too. I want to bring up, you know, because people are really kind of down, like, oh, the administration, oh, the border, oh, now it's about the abortion, uh, Roe versus Roy. I mean, there's so many negatives out there. But you step back, and I've said this before many times about our country, we have our problems, but there's not a country better in the world. Um, also, too, we talk about the physical infrastructure. I mean, we've got roads going all over the place. You go to some of these third world countries, it's hard to transport goods because there's not a road to kind of get there. Or if it is a road, it's a bumpy, dirty road that, you, you know, got potholes, <laughs> <laughs> your truck breaks down and so forth. So we have a lot of things. We have a, a legal system that is a pain in the butt sometimes. But also, too, we have a legal system, so you're not so concerned about doing business with someone and being concerned that, hey, they're going to screw me over, I have no recourse. You yeah. know, So we have our problems in the country. We've always had problems. I mean, that's part of, I, I think, of a democracy. But we do have a lot of good things. And, and we said here about the executives and so forth, we have a great place to still do business, even though, and again, I, I complain all the time about the permits, the, the regulations, the taxes, and so forth, but we still can do business. Yeah, I still do business. And it is just one thing, too, that kind of going back to this whole recession concern and this bear market. And, and, and this is why we buy businesses right. is because 
these companies aren't just like, oh my gosh, my business is over. We're in a recession. I, I guess I should just give up. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they look at, okay, what are we going to do now? How can we make our business more efficient? What are we going to do to improve the supply right. chain? How are these investments that we're making in a day going to help the business three, five, ten years down the road, not tomorrow, next week? But again, it's that longer term. And these businesses, again, they're they're not worried about the issues that are at hand in the short term. They're trying to resolve their company and make it strong in the long term. Yeah, and, and that's what you just remember that. Uh, and I remember when I was younger, my parents complained like, oh, it's never been so bad. You had the Kent State killings on the on the uh, campus there in what was Ohio. Um, all the negative, oh, this is terrible. And oh, this is you know terrible, con- not terrible country, but things are so bad here now they're always bad because why the media I think always brings out the bad stuff, which it does happen. But if you didn't know about it, um, you know, we'll still get through all this. And that that's why investing in value companies, what we like, because we're not playing the hype game, but we know that the country will make it through this, uh, situation. Cause we've been through this before. You know? you know, I, sometimes I wish I could go back in time and just see like pre media. What was society like? <laughs> did, did, did it panic about stuff as much? And then, you know, when the, the radio came out. Right. And then when TV came out. And now you have the, the ultimate magnifier of that with social media where everybody's yeah. posting about how terrible things, <laughs> things are. are. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I've been, I'm so depressed because of all this. But there are good things to look at. And that's what we try to do. And, again, we're, we're, you don't want to be unaware of it, but you want to say, okay, what is this really going to do? It's not going to destroy the country. So uh, if you like uh, the information that we give out here on the, the radio show, it is part of our newsletter uh, that we pull out the highlights from our newsletter uh, that goes out uh, Friday afternoon, I believe. If you want that free newsletter with this information we talked about and more, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That is smartinvesting2000.com for the topics we just talked about and even more so to help make you a smarter uh, investor. Um, also, we, we got our quarterly workshop coming up on Thursday, July 21st at the six o'clock in Scripps Ranch. Uh, this is a time that you want to hold on to the fundamentals. This is when it's so important to say, what am I doing? What do I have here? And that's why we show you everything we do um, at our firm that I've done for many, many, many years. Um, how we do it, how it got me through, you know, the, the banking crisis in the 90s, got me through the tech boom and bust, got me through the Great Recession, the COVID situation. It will get me through this situation, another situation as well. We share all that with you. We show you how to look at the fundamentals, look at the financial statements, and also how to come up with target buy prices, sell prices, uh, and everything else. It is a free workshop, but you have to sign up for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That is smartinvesting2000.com. And Chase, I just realized I forgot to get the phone numbers, so we got nobody waiting for a call here. Let me give out the phone numbers for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Call 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And I thought this would be a great time to kind of go back to our emails that we get because we do get behind on those who always take the calls first. Let me go this one here. It uh, says, uh, maybe a question for the radio show or if you just want to answer it. Does a increasing interest rate make for a good buy of either Visa or MasterCard or even Discover? So I guess we've got a choice of three to look at uh, fundamentally or just want to ask a question. I, it's interesting because I know Discover, the 
the valuations are are quite nice, and it's funny. I actually just canceled my Discover credit card yesterday. What, why'd you cancel <laughs> it? What happened? I just I had too many credit cards, so consolidating <laughs> down. And um, the service there with Discover was great. I just didn't use the credit card anymore. Ah. So, um, but I believe that they actually kind of hold the assets a little more. Where Visa and Mastercard, they obviously just do the swipe essentially, and that's right. how they get paid. So I believe the valuations for Discover have always looked quite appealing, but I, I'm almost more interested in Visa and MasterCard at this time because I'm curious how they've held up so far this year, and perhaps they were expensive as heck last year. I'm wondering if now with a pullback. Yeah, yeah, and I, I pulled up the fundamentals on Visa because I, I do want to kind of look at that, and, and also too, I'm in the midst of, I, I, I pulled out the data on it. I haven't done it yet about uh, consumer credits like our credit cards like Synchrony, like Capital One and so forth. And uh, actually Discovery had the best uh, pay ratio as far as people not defaulting. Um, I believe there's one I didn't hear of, it's another big one, um, but they had the worst like 4% or something. So, but mm-hmm. I, I will try to get that it's on top of my desk about what four or five other things, but I'll try to get that done. Let's take a look at uh, Visa though, cause I am kind of curious myself here. They are in the credit services. Their symbol is V for Visa. Only 2% float, so not a lot of short on there. 97% institutional owned. P.E. ratio, 32.3 versus 16.9. Price of sales also high, 16.5 versus 4.5. No price of tangible book value versus 50 for the industry. And price of cash was expensive, 27.6 versus 14.3. And they do have a good peg ratio, 1.6 versus 2.9. Now, looking at their earnings, uh, we do see over the past year, their earnings did climb <clears throat> by 31.6%, uh, not as good as the industry at 47.4, but still growing earnings at 31%, pretty attractive. And their sales were up 26.1% versus 23.1%. They do have a five-year growth rate of uh, 18.1% versus the industry at 184 uh, They pay a dividend of 0.7%, and that's, that's pretty low but I am surprised because I expected to see a much lower payout ratio, but that payout ratio is 22%. Not high, but for 0.7, I thought it'd be like, you know, 0.10 or something. I thought it'd be much lower. Uh, we do see that uh, they have paid that dividend for 10 plus years. Look at the balance sheet. We've got a current ratio of 1.3, same as the industry, good debt to equity, 0.6 versus 1.4. Uh, their profit margin, and, and we don't have time for this, but I would love to check out how they get a 51.1% profit margin versus 26.8 for the industry. Return equity very high, 38.3 versus 41.9. Uh, just unbelievable numbers here on, on the profit margin return equity. Uh, and I know this is why I think a couple of years ago, Congress came after them because of this. And they fixed it, went around it. <laughs> well, that, that's kind of the interesting thing is, you know, they, we've kind of seen that Congress is kind of looking at now, or I forget the, the regulatory. CPBD age. or something like that. Yeah, the Consumer, Consumer Protection, Protection Board. Board yeah. yeah, They're going after kind of the financial companies that charge late fees. Yeah, including and, credit cards, yeah. But that's not Visa and MasterCard. They're no, they're, not, they're included in that. They are. They are, yeah. Okay. I thought it was more the banks that held the receivables that charged late fees. I didn't think Visa and MasterCard because Visa and MasterCard, like you go to, you know, I have, actually I have a couple of Visa MasterCard cards, right. but you go to Citi and JP Morgan Chase and Synchrony, they're the ones that charge late fees. So Visa and MasterCard, I think they, they kind of escape a lot of the regulatory concern, but the problem is, 
I think Congress has gotten on them for it's like, what are you even doing for a fifty-five percent margin? <laughs> you know, and, you know, and, I, and I, and again, I haven't written the post yet on it, but I do remember seeing that Visa and Mastercard were, were on that list. But you're right; I believe the banks are the one that collect those fees. Uh, so I'll, I'll have to do more research on that. Write the post so I get the, the details correct. But um, you're right. What are, what are they doing to make all this money? Because I believe they just get percentage of the swipe fee essentially yeah. because they're not holding that's why their balance sheet looks so much different than banks they're not holding the the receivables they're not holding the loan so to speak and i haven't looked at visa or mastercards 10q 10k because it's always been so expensive but i believe that's how they make money i don't know if there's any other way they make money but that that's one thing i would want to know is and, that, and it is a great way every time somebody swipes that card they make and and, and that's why you see the merchant fees of mm-hmm. i think two to three percent depending on the card that it's quite a bit to make so the more people swipe they do better and the banks make the money i think i think you could be right off the late fees and also the interest which you know you and i both say never ever carry a balance on a credit card but um yeah that's where the banks make the money off it yeah so it is something that uh, is interesting i mean it's a great business model I, I think it's very low risk essentially but generally with i am kind of surprised by the the numbers here because with recession concerns that's generally a slowdown in spending which would impact obviously the amount of times people are using their credit cards right so i would think the stock would be struggling but it, it's actually held up quite well and I think part of that reason, I know I want to give the numbers as well, but I think part of that reason is too is that during a recession, you can use your credit card more because you can't, you don't have the cash to pay for it. Mm. So unfortunately, you'll get, you'll you'll swipe your card maybe more, and then the banks get benefits because you can't pay off the card. So, but yeah. Yeah. So uh, with that said, I mean, it's definitely a lot of kind of conceptual ideas here that you'd have to understand with these credit card companies, but current price here is $205.51. It has pulled back from its 52-week high of $252.67. The low here, $185.91. And I I say it's held up well because it's only down about 4.8% year-to-date when the S&P is still down about 17%. And especially, I thought this company with the valuations you mentioned would have been dinged a little bit harder by the rising interest rates. But going forward for the business, I go out to September 2023. Looks like they report on a fiscal fiscal year. I see estimated earnings per share of eight dollars and forty two cents would give us a target sell price here of one hundred thirty nine dollars and seventy seven cents. I mean, it still trades at a forward PE of about yeah. twenty four times. I do see that the growth on this company. I mean, this year twenty twenty two, they're looking at growth of twenty one point four percent. Next year twenty twenty three, seventeen point three percent. I mean, very good double digit growth for this business. Where is it coming from? Right, right. I mean, I, are people really using their credit cards that much more? Are they increasing their fees on the credit card? I mean, that's a. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know how they're increasing earnings that quickly. You, you know, one thing that I saw this past week, I read, I think it was in the journal, that uh, people because of their their gas, they're not putting a hundred dollars in. Instead of going once and put $100 in, they'll go two or three times and put 40 or $50 in. Now, but every time you swipe your credit card, they get paid. But actually, percentage-wise, it would still yeah. be the same. So that would not help them on the transactions. Um, so, and, and I do see here, and our number's a little bit different, but I do see here over 90 days ago, uh, the estimates were 848. They did fall to 837. So the estimates are falling over the last 90 days, not a lot. But they do say that credit cards are somewhat recession-proof because you still use your credit card, but you may not swipe it as much uh, or use it as much because 
uh, you know, again, once you swipe it, yeah, they'll get that two to three percent fee, but uh, the bank then benefits if you carry the balance. Yeah, and, and the problem though is with a company trading at we'll call it twenty-five times future earnings, if it slows down and still increasing, yeah. but at a slower rate, as we were talking about earlier, I think the stock could get hit. So, I, I, I kind of want to answer, I guess, uh, there's Johnny's question about rising interest rates. To be honest, rising interest rates I don't think is going to have any impact on Visa and MasterCard no. in particular. It would have an impact on Discover because, again, I believe they hold those receivables and charge on the loans and so forth. But uh, these are more, um, I'm going to say, dependent on the economy and, and the frequency of credit card transactions. So that that is a interesting business. I, I, I love Visa and MasterCard. I know they're very well-known names um, just from that aspect. But I just have never looked at the business because the last... I'd say probably, gosh, seven years. It's just been too expensive. And, and we don't own these companies, so we don't really follow that closely. But I do wonder, like with this type of company, what could be the thing that would change business? Is it the Venmos to where you're not going to use the credit cards? Is it the PayPals? I mean, there's other things that will take away business from the credit card companies. That, that's what I always wonder when I own a business. Like, who's the competition? What could take away my business there? So, and. I don't know if it'd be a Venmo or PayPal. I know they're growing quite a bit, but, um, and I have seen when I sometimes go, you see PayPal, but it goes through Visa anyways, yeah. which is kind of strange. So. Yeah, I mean, they, Visa and MasterCard have a very good stronghold yes. on this this business. Yep, yep. Phone numbers, uh, all lines are open, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go back to our email questions here. Uh, I would like your opinion on a stock investment. I am aware of significant financial issues, I believe recently res resolved with the SEC. The company name View Incorporated, uh, ticker V-I-E-W, uh, that's uh, from Ed. So let's take a look at the View here. I don't even recognize this company. Uh, do you recognize it, Chase? No, I, I'm kind of pulling up a little bit ahead of time here, but it is a little bit smaller. It's only $414 million market cap. Mm. Uh, so that, that could be one reason why we haven't heard of it. Yeah. Okay, well, let's take a look at the view here. Again, their symbol is uh, V-I-E-W. Uh, they're in the industry of building products and equipment. Uh, we do see no uh, no short on the stock, which is I, you very rarely see that. Uh, institutional ownership, 81%. Uh, no P.E. ratio versus uh, the industry at 14.3. So that's not a good start. Tells me over the last 12 months, no earnings there. Price of sales looks high, though, 4.4 versus 1.3. What does look good is price to tangible book value, 0.9 versus 17. So it tells me you're paying 90 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets uh, of the company. No price of cash flow, no peg ratio either. Uh, could be not much on here because, as you said, it's a smaller company. Uh, I see no earnings growth over the last year. Sales growth up 107% versus 17.6%. They do not pay a dividend. Take a look at the balance sheet here. Current ratio 3.3 versus 1.9. So it's a positive for the company, a lot of liquidity. Debt to equity is 0 0.1 versus uh, 0.6. Uh, we do see net profit margin problem here, negative 463% versus a positive 8.7. Return on equity, a negative 71 versus 18.3. So it seems to be they've had some big write-offs or something in the past. Uh, what do you have going forward, Chase? Yeah, well, to start here, this company is interesting. I know you talked about it's a building equipment company or 
construction company essentially, but it's also a technology company uh, according to the summary because what it is, it's smart windows. They use like artificial intelligence to automatically adjust in response to the sun and increase access to natural light to improve people's health and experience in buildings while simultaneously reducing energy com- consumption to mitigate the effects of climate change. Uh, did you say this company does that kind of? No, Corning was actually looking at something similar to this. Is this a company that just installs it? They actually came up with this concept. You know, I if can't tell from yeah, other. I can't tell from the description. Yeah. It, it just it looks like they do that technology, so I think they have the window, but maybe they use an outside glass provider yeah. like a Corning. So um, obviously, many times like a company like Apple, they make the smartphone, but they have so many other components yeah. that's true that they utilize. So that could be the case. Also, one warning popped up here that's always very concerning, and this might be what Ed's talking about: is there was a late filing with the mm. financial statements with the SEC. That is always something that greatly concerns me. Why are you filing <laughs> you late? Yeah. You know it's coming up. <laughs> yeah. So that's something. Uh, it sounds like Ed may have addressed that in the email, but always you want to understand what the heck happened there because that could be a very, very big danger. Looking at the current price here, though, for view, it's a dollar and eighty-nine cents. Wow! Look at this fifty-two week high, eight dollars and seventy-nine cents, and the fifty-two week low. Gosh, this stock is all over the place, thirty-seven cents. Wow! Very, very volatile. Year-to-date return down about fifty-one point seven percent. But gosh, within the last year, to go from eight seventy-nine to thirty-seven cents, that is a huge change. Yeah. So I mean, it's a very I'd say very risky stock. And unfortunately, I can't give a target sell price because I go forward to December 2023. It looks like just one analyst, not surprised being a small company, but that one analyst does have a estimate of negative 65 cents. So no earnings on the company yet. Uh, I, I do think it's potentially a good trend that could occur with the smart windows and you know saving money on electricity bills and you know helping the climate so to speak that's a a big big hot button right now but it's just not not what we do here with the the valuations not not pointing to strength and anytime a company has issues with the sec i gotta say be careful yeah and sometimes you kind of look into that to see what's going on but there's not really an incentive to do that because there's no earnings, you know, going forward for the company. Uh, you've got what was it? No return to equity. You did have a good price to tangible book value, but it, it's it's just there's too much risk on this to say, you know what, this is worth doing all the research because this will take a lot of research. You really have to kind of look back at the financial statements. Why are they late? What is going on? Is there something that's wrong here? Um, and then you have to kind of determine, okay, is the SEC right here? Are they wrong? They're going to stay on top of this. Are they going to come after the company? It is a small company, but still, uh, this could force that company to bankruptcy and you lose everything invested. Mm-hmm. So that that's the, the thing there. That, so so Ed, I, I, I personally don't think it's worth the research, but I mean, you could buy it at uh, $1.89 and they could turn things around. It'll be at $8 a few years from now, but high risk, high could reward. It could also be $1.89 right. and go to uh, $0.37, cents like it did already. Go to <laughs> <Or> zero. zero. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I so. don't, it, it looks like they had a good enough balance sheet, though, where they could last for, gosh, I don't know, a few years. Yeah, and, and sometimes that is a problem to where it's just like, it's like a slow bleed. Yeah. And you hold it, nothing happens, nothing happens. That's where it's so important to do your research to say, is there some positive catalyst I can find here that could perhaps turn this around? But that takes a lot of reading, a lot of you know, uh, interpreting of, of what's going on. And, and, and right now, especially this time of the market, and with the market where it is, there's now other good buys out there 
why spend so much time on something that may not pan yeah. out for you. So, all right, uh, all lines are open, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And as always, that'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, final opinion about what you want to talk about. But right now, we're going to talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing really good because I like this topic here, deducting California taxes for business owner. Being a business owner, I like subjects like this. So explain what you're talking about here. So in 20, or 2018, there was a lot of tax changes, um, and some of those changes limited itemized deductions for individuals. So one of the examples of that is the SALT tax. SALT tax stands for state income taxes and property taxes, and that those taxes were limited at a $10,000 that was able to be deductible. Now, for states like California, it's not uncommon for your state income taxes and property taxes to be twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year or more when those are added together. So this was a piece that um, limited tax deductibility for high-tax states like California and New York, things like that. However, there's a, a new California law that is going to come in and help business owners of pass-through entities. So in this case, an entity um, that is taxed as a partnership or an S-corp, which could be a general partnership, a limited partnership, an LLC, and an S-corp, all could qualify. And basically what this is going to do is <clears throat> it's going to allow business owners to, instead of paying their state income taxes on the individual level and itemizing them like normal, what it's going to allow them to do is pay those state income taxes through their business and then treat them as a business expense, which is going to reduce their federal tax liability. So that's exactly what the SALT did. The SALT was a deduction, so it reduced your taxable income. Now, this would allow business owners to have a direct reduction of their AGI, which still gives them that federal tax deduction and could have some more benefits by reducing their AGI. So this is something that business owners definitely need to be aware of. And also, you have to be aware if you are a sole proprietor, you do not qualify for this. It has to be a pass-through entity. So if you have a sole proprietorship, it might make sense to look at converting that over to an LLC or an S-Corp or something like that so that you can um, get this advantage and uh, begin deducting your state income taxes. And Harrison, that's another good reason why, again, I have a good financial planner that knows these different things as well, because you see somebody's making big money as a sole proprietor, like, gosh, you should be better off as a sub-S corporation or pass-through or a LLC. Um, but that's why, again, you, you sit down, you talk to people. And I, I've seen you go in your office, and sometimes you're in there for, I know, 90 minutes, uh, two hours, going all these different things for people. Uh, but you got to know what's going on, uh, things like this. And I'm so excited that. And this came from the state of California or from the IRS? <laughs> Gavin Newsom signed it. Really? <laughs> yeah, this is something that Gavin Newsom did, yeah. <laughs> they must have slipped that in there, and he didn't realize what he was signing. He's never good to businesses. So. But uh, hopefully he doesn't realize it and take it away from us. <laughs> Is it? Is it? Yeah. So, yeah, well, is it only for pass-through income that you can deduct it? Because obviously, a lot of times, as a sub-S corporation, you have your W two and you have your uh, pass-through income. Is it is the tax that you can deduct for both, or is it just the pass-through in income? Just the well, it, it, it's just the pass-through income, yeah. and um, 
yeah, so it has to be a pass-through entity. So, you know, in in the past, I've always kind of liked S-Corps over, like, a, a sole proprietor anyway, just because you avoid some of the um, Social Security Medicare taxes. But it, there hasn't always been a huge difference in, in tax liability. Now this is a, a new piece, which is really going to add a lot of savings for business owners. Yeah, and just something that can uh, finally help a little bit on, on that side. But, um, well, Harrison, thank you very much. I, I know it's a Saturday, a beautiful Saturday right there. So um, you take uh, have a good Saturday, and we'll see you on Monday. All right, thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay, bye-bye. Again, that's Harrison Johnson, our certified financial planner. He is on a salary. He does not sell any commissionable products. He does not, you know, try to, you know, sell you anything at all. It really is a financial plan where you sit down and talk about your situation. He looks at what else is better for you for financial plans, fee-based planning. If you want that free consultation, a couple ways you can do it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Send him a message. You can call him directly at the office. Speak to him that way. 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And I do want to mention it's going to be here before you know it our workshop on July 21st, six o'clock in Scripps Ranch. It is a free workshop. We talk about how to actually invest. And also too, now is when people may be making the wrong decisions that you shouldn't be making. Maybe, well, I won't go into them, we'll go into the workshop, but there's things that you shouldn't be doing now. We go over what you should be doing and also what you should not be doing. We do come up with target sell prices. We come up with you know the target buy prices. We come up with why you should stay on track. We show you all these important things to make you a smarter investor. It is a free workshop, but you have to sign up for it. Go to our website, 858, call the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Speak with Priscilla. But you can go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Very easy to get the website. Right up in the right-hand middle side of the page, you'll see workshop registration. Click on that, get you signed up pretty easily. And it's, it's, I think it's so important that we do these workshops, especially in times like this, because it reminds me of that quote from Mike Tyson, the, the boxer, that everybody has a plan until mm-hmm. you get punched in the face. And uh, I paraphrase that, I don't know if I nailed it exactly word for word, but something along those lines. I think it's pretty close. Yeah. yeah. But that's the whole thing is a lot of people, when things are easy investing, say, yeah, I got a great investment plan, and they think they have a plan. But all of a sudden, now you start to hit this where... I mean, I know people that are, are down 30, 40% on their portfolios because they took such big risks. Yep. Well, what's your plan now? They don't have one because they got right. punched in the face. Right. That's why our investment plan, it's worked now. I mean, gosh, value investing has been around for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. And it, it gets you through these tough times. And this is when it is so important to have a good plan of how you're going to invest in tough times like this. Yeah, and we show you what that plan is and, and why it does work and, and so forth. So it, uh, again, we're doing it many times, constantly uh, been doing that workshop, I think for well over 20 years, and it's not gonna change 20 years from now, but we do it once a quarter now. So this one is gonna be again July, I say July 21st, 6 p.m. in Scripps Ranch. And uh, we just love doing them. We like talking to the people and stuff and you know, people say. So, all right, uh, phone number's here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Investor over at Chase. How can we help you? 
Hi, Brent and Chase. Um, I'd like to know what you think about Amcor technology or how the numbers look, please. Okay, do you hold that, Jim, or looking to buy that? I have a few shares, yeah. Right. Well, let's take a look at uh, Amcor Technology. Their symbol is A-M-K-R. They own the industry of semiconductors. Uh, the float on this, uh, short-wise, is about 8.9%. Uh, we do see institutional ownership is not that high. It's 396 uh, We see a P-E ratio, very good P-E ratio here, 6.1 versus 18. Good price to sales, 0.7 versus 4.4. Price to change of book value, 1.4 versus over 100 for the industry, and then price of cash flow checks in at 3.8 versus 12.1, and a very good peg ratio, which is your price earnings divided by the growth, is 0.3 versus 4.2. So the valuation ratios look very good on uh, Amcar uh, technology. We do see the earnings over the last year were up 74%, beating the industry up 56%. Sales climbed 22.7%, that is also above the industry at 13.9. I see a five-year earnings per share growth rate of 21.4%, also above the industry at 16.8. They pay a dividend of 1.2% and only use 6.3% earnings pay that out, which tells me they could increase that dividend if they wanted to. We do see on the balance sheet, current ratio 1.8 versus 3.1, that's okay. Debt to equity 0.5 versus 0.6, that's a good debt to equity. Net profit margin, 10.8, I believe this is the first number where the industry has looked better, coming in at 25.4, and return on equity is 22.4 versus 27.1. Chase, are you gonna spoil my happy party here with something going forward not good or what? Well, to start, I mean, I, I think we talked about it last week about semiconductors, but I, I just, I think, now with the pullback and all these semiconductor mm -hmm. stocks, I think you can start really picking out some strong ones because we know semiconductors are not going away. Right. And we know, in fact, they're probably going to continue to grow in demand. So I think this is a great opportunity to find the right ones. Now at Amcor, let's take a closer look at the, these numbers here. Current price here, $17.29, 52 week high, $29.50, and the low $16.26. It's down about 30% year to date. You know, the, the technology sector and also uh, chips have kind of struggled to start the year. So not surprised that it's down. I am surprised by this, though. It is about a $4.2 billion market cap. I thought I've never heard of this company, so I yeah. thought it might be a little bit smaller, but it's decent size. The problem is there's only one analyst following it, providing a an estimate for earnings per share. I go out to December 2023, though. I see it's $2.95. With $2.95, we would get a target sell price here of $48.97. I mean, the valuation on that one estimate looks very good, but many times we like to see more analysts than just one. And it, it is somewhat concerning, I guess, but it could be potentially a positive. As you said, the institutional ownership is very low. Yeah. I'm wondering what this company needs to do to start to get involved more with the institutions because... Then you get more analysts following it yep. and likely increase the institutional ownership, which could be a catalyst for, for growth as well. Yeah, the market cap of $4.4 is not that small, so I am surprised one analyst was surprised on the institutional ownership. One thing that does worry me about this company, we always tell people to be very careful of here, Jim, is that you want to make sure that they don't have like just one or two big customers. And that's where that's perhaps where maybe you don't have the analysts like, oh, this is just a one-trick pony. So some more research would be needed here to find out why they only have one analyst. Do they have just one big contract or two big contracts with one company? 
uh, I think it's worth the research a little bit um, because I, I like the numbers. The numbers all look good, but. Yes, that's what I was thinking, that like you said, a lot of things have been beaten down, and I thought this might be a good opportunity for this, this one. Yeah, so I, I would really, uh, you know, look at the last uh, probably quarter quarterly report, see what's going on there, how they did for the quarter. Uh, I think they're on a calendar quarter, so that'll be coming up probably another oh six to eight weeks, probably. Uh, how how that's that's going to go? But um, I, I think it's worth the research. And it's not a tiny company. Are you seeing Sun Chase? Yeah, think? I was just kind of curious on their customers. I just looked that up real quick, and I was wondering about this because they, they aren't a fabrication company right. they do testing services and outsource that right. and packaging so it looks like their customers they have major customers including intel philips sony toshiba uh agilent so there, there's a bunch of different places or companies that they sell to i'm curious what the breakdown is though of the the revenue you'd hate if let's say intel's like 60 percent of that or something just throwing out a number there that's not right. what it is but right, something right. to look at yeah all right Thank you very much. You're welcome, Jim. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. All right. All right. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And a very slow day on the calls today. So let's go back to our emails, kind of getting these uh, caught up here. Now, where is the question here? Uh, what's your opinion on nuclear energy, specifically the stock as well? Uh, where it's in it, the subject line. Oh, the subject line is uh, CCJ. I believe that's yeah, what that's I saw. it. That's what you got. Okay, well let's take a look at that. Um, yeah, and we've not seen anything with nuclear energy, and I know it seems to be coming more of a, uh, what do I want to say okay or accepted, I guess, nuclear energy. Well, especially with the energy crisis we're going through, I think yeah. people are looking for alternatives, and you know done right that nuclear can be uh, a, a positive to the environment and to the the energy source and i think i got the right company here under ccj it's uh chemico yeah that's, chemico? that's what i that's what i pulled yeah. up as well because yeah. i do see it's in the industry of uranium mm -hmm. i don't think we ever looked at a company with the industry of uranium so this will be very interesting uh 66 and a half percent institutional owned uh, no PE ratio, price to sales, very expensive, 7.3 versus 3.6. Price to book value looks good though, 2.4 versus 5.7, that is price of tangible book value. Price to cash flow, 19.8 uh, versus 19.1, peg ratio 2.7 versus 13.7. Now over the past year and five years, I see nothing for the earnings growth. On the sales over the past year, it's down 9.3%. Industry was down 7.2, and even five years down 8.1%. Whole industry down 14.7. But this is very interesting here. The five year estimated growth estimate from the analysts is for looking for 56.9% for the company versus 28.6. Uh, they do pay a small, very small dividend, 0.4%, no payout ratio because they have no earnings. Uh, very important here is the balance sheet. Very good balance sheet. Current ratio 5.1 versus 13.1 for the industry. A lot of liquidity. Debt to equity only 0.2 versus 0.3. Net profit margin a negative 3.6 versus a positive 9.5. Return to equity is also a negative 1.2 versus a positive 0.8. Um, wondering if they got earnings going forward. 
Yeah, so current price here to start, though, for Cameco. Again, ticker symbol here is CCJ. Well, it's $22.50. I see the 52-week high was $32.49, and 52-week low, $15.34. So, again, another volatile stock here that, that's mm -hmm. really kind of been all over the, the place to, to start the year or over the last year. I do see year-to-date up 3.2%, which is positive considering uh, where a lot of the market is at currently. Again, as a reminder, the S&P is still down about 17% year to date. Good size company though, and I say good size, about $9 billion market cap. Good size. So it's a good size company, as I said. Go out to December 2023, estimated earnings per share, 82 cents, would give us a target sell price of $13.61. So, I mean, you see earnings growth here of about 342% because it, right. it was negative <laughs> last year. It looks like they're looking for 19 cents this year. And I said 82 cents next year. They have about 11 analysts, which is a, a decent number. Decent number there. I, I, I'd feel okay with that. But the only problem is the low is 21 cents and the high was well, $1.99. Yeah. So, it, it's... I think a very questionable industry right now. People aren't quite sure what direction it's going to head. I say questionable more in that regard, not so much of like an ethics issue, but more so of how common is nuclear energy going to be? Is this going to be a path that we're interested in pursuing? Obviously, if it's a path that we are interested in pursuing, right. the stock will go up. Right. But if it's not, the stock will go down. And it's very hard. I mean, because I've, I've not read much on this because it's just not, uh, you know, for years it wasn't a big deal. I think now it's coming back in because now alternative energy sources, and I believe nuclear is probably one of the most dependable compared to wind and solar because nuclear is always going to produce where wind you need wind and solar you need sun. Uh, so I think we could see more of this in the future. Um, I would not feel comfortable yet investing in the company because you said the big range of those estimates. Uh, and also, too, I do have in the back of my mind, I still remember those protests and no nukes, no nukes and all this other stuff. Um, have they fixed those problems? Or if we have another meltdown again, like we have with Chernobyl, Chernobyl and Russia yeah. and um, the Three Mile Island was another one uh, that I remember in, in my history here. Um, that that happens again, these companies will get slammed. Yeah. But I, I would love to see it, you know, come to where there is no risk to them because that would be a phenomenal way to get through a, an energy situation. And they, they say, I, I, again, not an expert on this show, but they say it's clean energy. It, it can be very scalable in terms of how much it can yeah. produce where, you know, that that's the big issue with solar and wind is you can put all these farms, but in terms of the electric grid, it's, it's still not going to help that <laughs> yeah, much yet. Yeah. Th those are more like a uh, an assistance to the electric grid, but nuclear could be the, could really run the nuclear, could uh, run the electric grid. But I also do wonder too about nuclear waste. That was another thing too, that you had this waste where, where does that go? You know? and, and I mean, there, there is nuclear energy right now yeah. as well. It's, it's not like we have, this is a new concept. It's just a concept of maybe we expand that use. And I was trying to see if I could find the electric grid. Cause I know we have looked at like how, you know, uh, coal still fuels the electric grid, and and I, I forget how much nuclear is of it, but I wanted to say it was like, uh, I wanted to say it was close to like 20%, so it wasn't. Really? That sounds high to me. I, I thought it was pretty high. I know like uh, San Ofri up the street here, up the road, the, that one's shut down. They, yeah. they, they don't operate that, so I'm not, I'm not even sure which ones operate. And and we haven't really looked at this, and I, I pretty much, you know, look at the Wall Street Journal every, every day. We listen to a lot of business news and so forth it's not talked much about at all at this point in time. I mean, every once in a while it comes up, uh, but nothing major yet to where you're hearing anything. I mean, so. 
Yeah. Yeah. I Anything? Uh, it's still kind of looking. Still kinda looking. Up. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah it, nuclear was 18.9% of the electric grid in 2021. That that is a surprise to me. I I was I didn't think it would be even close to that. I thought maybe at best maybe ten percent, but wow. Yeah. Almost twenty percent. That that is a surprise. Fossil um, fuels sixty point eight percent with coal being twenty two percent of that, natural gas being thirty eight percent, nuclear was eighteen point nine percent, and then you have your renewables at twenty percent, uh, which includes wind at nine, hydropower at six, solar wait, at two point eight. I think you're over hundred percent. Did I miss some numbers here or did I get something? No, no, no. So fossil fuels includes natural gas and coal. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking like, wait, you we want to wait yeah, 100%. Yeah. So that uh, fossil fuels includes, you said gas and coal. Mm-hmm. And of that, uh, how much was, does it have a breakdown of how much was that? Coal? And then coal was 22%. Okay. Natural gas was 38%. Your total fossil fuels is 60%. Right. The nuclear is 18.9%. Your renewables, which includes things like wind, hydropower, solar, your renewables total is about 20%. So actually nuclear and your solar wind energy is uh, about the same. Yeah, and I was surprised here too that hydropower is higher than solar. Oh, hi- hydropower is water. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that one. So that's higher than solar? How much was that? Uh, hydropower is 6.3%. Hmm. And yeah. solar is only 28 I guess the problem with hydropower, you got to be close to the ocean to get that done. Yeah. Or I don't think they can use it in streams or anything or lakes or. I'm not sure. Yeah. So uh, very, very, very. And and, and this is kind of like the conversation we have in the office when we're talking about investing is what we try to figure out all these different things, try to understand what's going on with different uh, topics here. But it, it's just kind of interesting. And, and I, and when I come down to it, though, I think it's still too early to invest in nuclear. Yeah. Um, I, I like the concept. We gave, we gave the numbers. Um, I still believe that uh, your fossil fuels are here for still, I'll say, many years decades. to come. Yeah, yeah de- decades to come because it's the easiest to get. Natural gas is good. Um, so you've, you've got things there that it's just so hard to change. And, and I'm not against the environment. But also, too, I mean, when you look back now, they have a lot of things now, scrubbers and everything else. And I do remember, actually, uh, I think we read this a couple of years ago, about how a big polluter are your ocean liners. Because mm-hmm. they, they have no regulations at all, and they just spew out this this dirty sulfur and everything yeah. else. Yeah. So, well, you know, one thing I did want to talk about, too, we've got about a minute here, um, is I did want to talk about uh, investing. uh the reason I don't like rule of thumb is many times they don't work because parameters have changed. Take the example of a safe investment of 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds, according to Bespoke Investment Group year to date. That philosophy has produced a negative return of 18%. And you go all the way back to 1976, that's how long it takes to find a return that low. And again, this is why we always tell people to perform well in investing, you have to analyze all the parameters and look at what's going to perform well going forward. Again, we've talked about not being in bonds. Well, bonds are still doing terribly, mm-hmm. and we still think bonds are going to do terrible going forward as we continue to think rates are not done rising. Yep, yep. And there's the closing bell. Wow, that was loud today. Uh, thank you for listening to the Bart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858 858- Five four six four three zero six. That's eight five eight five four six four three zero six. And visit our website smartinvesting two thousand dot com. 
at smartinvesting2000.com. You can sign up for the workshop coming up on July 21st at 6 p.m. and also that newsletter as well. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. We'll talk more next week right here. Have a good day. So amusing to think that I did all that. And may I say, 